Hello, and welcome to this special edition of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners Teams Peds Talk podcast, Focus ED, sponsored by the Pediatric Emergency Care Special Interest Group. Focus ED is a podcast program that offers listeners a unique view into the broad scope of pediatric emergency care by looking at three different emergency care topics from a variety of different vantage points across the care continuum. Our first four-part series delves into the very real dangers of child trafficking. Cassandra Newell, pediatric nurse practitioner at Children's Mercy Kansas City and secretary of the Pediatric Emergency Care Special Interest Group, will be speaking with community-based child trafficking advocates and providers who will share their real-life experiences and offer insights into the role of social media and child exploitation. They will also offer helpful tips for starting human trafficking work group in your area. In our second series, Hillary Baxter, pediatric nurse practitioner at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and co-chair of the Pediatric Emergency Care Special Interest Group, will be talking with experts in emergency care, adolescent health, respiratory therapy, and toxicology about the unique dangers of vaping in adolescents and e-cigarette and vaping-related lung injury. Our final four-part series, hosted by myself, Nicole Kepke, pediatric nurse practitioner at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and chair of the Pediatric Emergency Care Special Interest Group, will take an in-depth look at the public health crisis of gun violence in the United States. We will be hearing from violence prevention experts and researchers, as well as frontline clinicians about the unique challenges faced by the victims of gun violence, their families, and the healthcare providers who advocate for their care. Thank you for joining us. This four-part series will cover several different aspects of child trafficking from community child trafficking advocates to providers sharing real experiences and scenarios of child trafficking. One of the episodes will be Russ Tuttle, the president and founder of the Stop Trafficking Project. He will share his perspective and experience on the role of social media in the exploitation of vulnerabilities among children and students. Two episodes will interview two nurses sharing their experiences and discussing real cases of child trafficking. They will also discuss how they developed a human trafficking work group at a pediatric hospital from the ground up and serve as co-leaders. We have been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to interview Allison Phillips, the director of the Human Trafficking Task Force from the Missouri Attorney General's Office that provides her perspective on how human trafficking is addressed on on a statewide level. Sergeant Dan Nash, who leads the Interdiction for the Protection of of Children Human Trafficking Unit for the Missouri State Highway Patrol will share his unique expertise and experience with human trafficking with us. I am your host, Cassandra Newell, a pediatric nurse practitioner. I work in a pediatric emergency department and I'm currently serving as secretary for the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, also known as NAPNAP, Pediatric Emergency Care Special Interest Group. And I'm also a a child trafficking advocate for the Alliance for Children in Trafficking, which is a program by NAPNAP Partners for Vulnerable Youth. I'd like to welcome my guests today on this episode, Allison Phillips and Dan Nash. 
Allison Phillips is the director of the Anti-Human Trafficking Task Force for the Missouri Attorney General's Office. Her job entails facilitating the work of this multidisciplinary task force in order to create unified and informed statewide efforts to combat human trafficking. She has previously worked as an adjunct professor at the University of Missouri in Kansas City and Mid-America Nazarene University, teaching a course on human trafficking. She has been active in the anti-human trafficking movement since 2012 and has a master's degree in criminal justice and criminology. Dan Nash has been a Missouri State Trooper for 26 years and is currently a sergeant with the Human Trafficking Unit. Dan is a member of and supervises the enforcement section of the Missouri Attorney General's Office Anti-Trafficking Task Force. Dan has taught human trafficking to law enforcement in multiple states and created the special victims methodology on how to interview trafficking victims. Thank you both for being on this podcast today and taking um, and talking about the important work that you're both doing on human trafficking and how we as nurse practitioners can learn about these efforts. Um, so I'd like to start with you, Allison. Can you tell us a little bit about the Anti-Human Trafficking Task Force? Sure. Um, first, thank you, Cassandra, for, uh, for inviting us and, and giving us this opportunity to talk. Um, Today, I, I think where I'll start with in, by answering your question is by kind of painting this big picture of um, what needs to happen in order for us to successfully eradicate human trafficking. Um, and I think when, when people think about the, the problem of human trafficking, I think our minds uh, automatically go to this idea that we need to be re rescuing victims. Um, and that's certainly true, um, but there is a whole lot more uh, that needs to be done beyond just that. And, and even in order for that to happen, for us to get to this place where we are, you know, knocking down a, a, a door and, and rescuing a victim and making an arrest of a, of a perpetrator, there's a whole lot that needs to happen before we even arrive at that place and, and a whole lot that needs to happen after if we really want to be successful in going after this crime uh, comprehensively. And so, um, the, the business of rescuing victims um, belongs and making the rest obviously belongs to law enforcement, but law enforcement cannot do all of this alone. And so that's where our, our task force enters and we work to create this environment in which uh, law enforcement can do that work um, and be uh, most effective. So, so in order for us to arrive at that place where we are intervening and, and rescuing victims, First, we need to have the ability to identify victims. And I, I'm sorry to say that a lot of our social media, and a lot of movies and television shows are not doing a very good job at helping us identify human trafficking. A lot of it's very sensationalized. A lot of it's based on false information. Uh, there's a, a ton of stuff out there about, you know, watch out for zip ties on your, on your rear view mirror in the parking lot or st some stories about, you know, a possible abductions, you know, at a target or something like that. And, and I, I just want you to know that the vast majority of cases of human trafficking, that is not how it happens. Uh, traffickers uh, work very hard to, to groom and brainwash and, and wrap people who, are, who have vulnerabilities um, into these kind of bait and switch type of scams. 
Um, and the reason why they do that and spend all that time is because they want to um, make victims, um, they're, they're less likely to run away because they believe they got themselves into these situations and they become dependent and reliant upon their exploiters. And this, this pays off very well for traffickers. Um, it, it totally feeds into their business model. So we can't count on victims to identify themselves. We can't count on victims to uh, run away and seek and ask for help. So we need to have an aware and educated community that knows the indicators to look for um, and knows how to report. And so there are some key places that are, are especially strategic in that. Um, they are places where um, kids are. So our schools are especially um, strategic for that because kids are, um, anyone can be a trafficking victim and certainly adults are, but uh, a lot of it begins with childhood and, and the vulnerabilities that are there. Um, and it also begins with places where, where people who have uh, vulnerabilities are. So um, those are things like homelessness, um, the occurrence of prior abuse. So our foster care system, a lot of the, the kids that end up in trafficking situations come from um, broken families and dysfunctional households. And um, certainly the healthcare system, which we'll talk more about through this podcast, um, is, is key to identifying this. So we need to have um, a lot of victims are moved around. So uh, places like, um, you know, that work in the transportation sector, you know, truck stops and things like that all can be really important key places that if, if people who work in these environments know the indicators, know what to look for and know how to report, make those reports to law enforcement, um, that's where these interventions and rescues can occur. Now, so that's one piece of what needs to happen. Another part of that is once we have um, staged this intervention or rescue, now what? What, what do we do with, with these victims? Um, we can't just uh, say you're rescued and have a, you know, have, have a happy life and send them on their way. Um, many of them, the reason why they're trafficked in the first place is because they have uh, complex needs um, and that those continue and are exacerbated by their trafficking situations. And so they need uh, resources, they need housing, they need counseling, they need um, help with uh, finding employment and you know, uh, immigration status, all, all kinds of things. Um, many of them don't have an ID. It's hard to, to get a job or move anywhere on with your life if you don't first have an ID. So there's all kinds of needs that victims have. And so um, having this victim service uh, piece to wrap around victims and help them get on their feet so that they don't become re-exploited is a really, really critical part of this work. Um, and that's uh, an important part of why our task force exists. Um, we also want to make sure that the people who are, who are doing this harm uh, the traffickers and other exploiters are held accountable. And so we need to have uh, the judges and prosecutors and potential jurors, um, we need to have them educated. We need laws that are strong enough to result in convictions. Uh, and so creating that environment so that we're not just making arrests and, and, and nothing comes of them, um, that work needs to be done as well. Um, and even if we're doing all of those things that I just described to you very well, we're identifying victims, we're reporting them, we have law enforcement doing their piece. Um, we, we're helping victims get the services and resources that they need and we're, we're putting the, the bad people away. Even if we're doing all of that really well, 
Um, all that I've just described to you is, is just the current pool of victims. And we need to be going further upstream and looking at what is causing this in the first place and creating um, you know, an environment in the community that is working to prevent this from happening in the first place. So, um, so that is the world of what's needed to comprehensively eradicate human trafficking. Um, that is the reason why um, our task force exists is to create that support system around law enforcement so that, that they can do their piece and be most effective and have the rest of us uh, doing, our, doing our job with it, so. All right. So can you um, describe what um, the partnership or the collaboration should be between healthcare providers, hospitals, and those at the state level in fighting against human trafficking? So I think um, as task force director, my, my job is to look at this problem from this kind of 30,000 foot um, perspective and look at the big picture of everything that needs to be happening. And I see healthcare providers as really, really critical um, to, to the overall fight to this. There, there are a couple studies that have been done. Um, there was one in 2014 that found that 88% of trafficking victims at some point during their exploitation were um, passed through the doors of a healthcare facility. So there's an opportunity, um, an, an intervention opportunity. If those healthcare workers can be trained, know what the indicators are, know what to look for and know how to report and we have a good reporting system in place can be really, really important um, and really make a difference. Uh, another report that was put out in 2017 found that 97% of those trafficking victims that went through a, um, a healthcare facility um, were never even offered resources or help. So we're missing the boat. Um, and, and another uh, study from 2014 that same one that I, I mentioned earlier, only 2% of all human trafficking reports come from hospitals. So we're missing the boat. And I really believe that education is the foundation for that. Um, we can set up a great reporting system. I can provide healthcare uh, workers across the state with, you know, here's some questions to ask. But if you first don't have that education, and know what to look for, you know, or maybe you're seeing things and you know something's not right, but you don't know what name to put to it. Um, none of that other stuff matters. So we have to begin with the, with the education piece, help people understand what human trafficking is, what it looks like in the healthcare setting, and, um, and then what to do from there. So um, if, if we had um, healthcare workers across the state of Missouri, um, with that education, I think we would really be making a big difference. I think uh, the numbers of reports that we would be receiving, um, the, the, the number of victims that we could assist and provide alternatives, I just think it would be a really big game changer. I absolutely agree. And I know um, NAPNAP Partners for Vulnerable Youth has really tried to establish this um, kind of groundbreaking, trying to train our nurse practitioners to take the Alliance for Children and Trafficking um, module and education so that way they can be themselves educated and hopefully would want to also take on educating um, our community as well, our healthcare providers. 
So um, definitely our listeners, please, please go to the website and check that out so you can um, be educated um, and hopefully would um, be inclined to educate our other healthcare providers as well. Um, so I absolutely agree with you. It's so important. I like to, oops, sorry. Sure. And Cassandra, and what I would say is that um, the, in my experience, the ideal healthcare provider relationship with law enforcement that you want to report to is um, it, it's, it's not just a, a number that you, that you call, that you take the time to get to know the people in your state that, that are trained on specifically on human trafficking, like we have in our task force, um, like Dan is, um, and I know he'll elaborate on that more, um, and, and build that relationship, um, get to know them. And um, I, I think you'll find that to be really, really transformative. Agree. I think it definitely is that team approach that we need to work together. And like you said, to really get to know who is in your state and who's available to help you with those steps as you take for identifying, reporting, and then going on from there. So let's bring Dan in here. Dan, can you tell us a little bit more about the law enforcement component, um, the indicators, you know, how healthcare providers can report and document human trafficking concerns and just what, what kind of happens next? So from a law enforcement perspective, um, you know, we, we get tips from a variety of different places. Um, we get, you know, cases that come from the troopers that are out working the road or responding to calls or responding to accidents or whatever. Um, and they've been trained so they understand the indicators, understand the things to look for, um, and then they can you know, take appropriate action when necessary. And um, as we continue to teach law enforcement and, and provide training, we saw these numbers start dramatically going up. I mean, I, I think we're not a lot different than Children's Mercy was at some point where we literally had like zero rescues, um, not just, a, you know, just a few years ago. And then as we started training, you know, we saw that number rise up to six rescues the following year. And then we it went up to 25 and then it went up to 47. And, and now we're on pace for like 67 or 70 or whatever it is so far this year. Um, so training is really the, the key. It's the foundation that allows you to do all this stuff, whether you're in a law enforcement setting or a hospital setting or a truck stop or a casino or, you know, a bus depot, it doesn't matter. The training is the foundation of all this. You can't report what you don't know. And you can't say something, you know, the old saying, if you see something, say something, right? We all learned that after 9-11. Um, you can't say if you don't know what you're looking at or what you're looking for. So I think it's really, really important. And so in law enforcement, we refer to as places um, where we can locate, you know, victims and locate traffickers as, as funnel points, right? And as Allison said earlier, I think probably one of, if not the biggest funnel point is hospitals. Um, I mean, this, it's research after research after research. We know these victims are coming to the hospitals. They're coming there because they're depressed. They're coming there because they were assaulted. They're coming there because they were beat up. They're coming there because they were stabbed or shot or whatever. They're coming there because they tried to commit suicide or they overdosed or they've got all kinds of, of, of medical issues relating to the fact that they're being trafficked. Um, so we know that that is a major phone point. And if, if we can really 
nail down and build that rapport between the hospitals and law enforcement, I, th I think there's no doubt that we can rescue hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more victims just in our state of Missouri. I mean, if we did that nationwide, we're talking thousands or tens of thousands of victims could be identified um, and, and rescued. And not only that, because you have to, you have to also think that very few times is there just one victim that's being trafficked by this perpetrator? There's usually two or three or four or five or whatever. So when we're able to identify this one victim and help them and get them out of there and provide them the services that they need, and then maybe start an investigation against that trafficker, we now end up finding three or four or five more victims with that same trafficker that nobody even knew about. So the, the numbers really start adding up extremely quickly um, I think if we could, we, if we could do this, does that make sense? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I, I agree. I definitely think that we are the kind of the front line as far as trying to identify these victims. And like you said, having the education and the training to be able to do that. And then we can contact with an R setting social work or um, SANE or SCAN, those kind of specialists as well, depending on what their reason is for coming in and then being able to help, they can help us report to the human trafficking hotline and, and to involve law enforcement and, and FBI or however that works within the, the state of reporting. Yeah, and it's been an amazing relationship between Children's Mercy and us. I mean, just this last weekend or this last week, there was a, a, a 13 and a 15-year-old kiddo that, that you know, you guys called us about and we were on those right away. And literally within two or three hours, you know, we were, we were deep into an investigation, identifying traffickers, getting those, you know, kids in a, in a safe place, um, figuring out what was going on in their world. Um, getting them out of an environment that maybe they didn't need to be in, um, dealing with, you know, evidentiary stuff is, you know, from like phones and electronics and, and videos and images and all the other stuff that goes along with that. And, um, you know, it, it, it really is a well-oiled machine of what we have going on right now between Children's Mercy and law enforcement. And it's enabled us to, to make so many more arrests and to rescue, you know, so many more more kids and to take predators and traffickers and remove them so that they can't hurt, you know, other people. And, and that's, and that's, what's really important because previously that wasn't, that wasn't really happening. And, and when, and when we can go from really, you know, zero reports to 60 reports a year, whatever it is that children's mercy is doing now, and then we can take that to the next level and rescue more kids and arrest traffickers and take predators out of, you know, off the street, that's a really, really important thing. And I don't know of anything in law enforcement that we do that's better than that. I mean, when I teach the troopers or law enforcement, I ask them, name some of the best things that you've ever done. And, you know, and, and they give you a variety of different things and they're all amazing, great things. But then I, I give a scenario of you rescued a, a 12 year old out of a hotel that's being trafficked or you stop the car and there's a 14 year old in there with a 45 year old male who's being sexually exploited and abused um, to rescue a kid out of a situation like that. Is there anything that we do that's better? And no one can ever give me that answer because there isn't anything that we do that's better 
than rescuing a kid or rescuing even an adult victim of, of being trafficked. There's nothing that law enforcement does that's better. And I'm going to assume, I don't know, but I'm going to assume that all the great work that you guys do on the medical side, when you see a kiddo come in and they're there because they're suicidal or whatever, and you see the indicators and you report that and someone gets arrested and that kid gets rescued and gets services and can get the counseling that they need and the therapy that they need and the medical that they need and can go on with their life. I would imagine that that's got to be unbelievably rewarding from the medical side as well. Absolutely. And I just talked with, so our listeners know as Children's Mercy is a hospital here in the Midwest in um, Kansas City, Missouri. And um, I just worked with Heidi uh, a few weeks ago. We discussed this on one of our episodes with a patient that I had seen, and that was checked all the boxes for high risk for being trafficked. And I, I just felt so, I mean, it was very difficult, but then I felt so glad that I was able to recognize those risk factors and be able to contact her and contact scan and contact social work and to get everybody involved. And thus law enforcement came and got the report too. And, and so it really does work. I feel like that system really does work. What do you think as far as, you know, other nurse practitioners who are out, not here at Children's Mercy, but outside of that, um, what's the best way that they can kind of build those relationships to make to make those connections, to make that more of a team effort. I know we're starting to run out of time a little bit, but what do you think that is? Well, I, I think it's like with anything in life is you have to build that rapport and that relationship. So my advice would be to find somebody in your local law enforcement or your state law enforcement. Those would probably be the, the first two choices that I would go with um, that really has that passion. And that they understand what trafficking is and they have the capabilities to investigate it because unfortunately not every law enforcement agency does. I mean, trafficking cases are complex. They're not like other investigations. They're not like a, a, a sexual molestation case. They're not like a sexual assault case. They have to be worked differently. The interviews are completely differently. Um, they're just a completely different animal when it comes to how to investigate those. So you have to make sure that you find the right law enforcement partner that understands that and is trained accordingly. And then you just have to build a rapport and figure out what is gonna work well for, for the hospital and what is, gonna be, what is gonna work well for law enforcement. I know one of the things that we do is we actually put on some training um, and we actually explain to like all the SANE nurses and all the triage nurses and we put, it, put some, this is what we're going to do. Once you call us, this is our next step. And then this is our next step. And then this is our next step. And this is how we're going to investigate this. And the reason that we do that is sometimes law enforcement thinks that everything needs to be a secret. But if we're going to all be on the same page, you need to know what I'm doing. And I need to know what you're doing. I don't have to be a nurse. I don't have to be a nurse practitioner. I don't have to be an MD. I just need to kind of know what you guys are doing in a roundabout way. And you guys need to know what I'm doing because then that's gonna help me when I'm talking to the kiddo and I'm paying attention and I'm looking for indicators. So when we did that, um, what we started seeing is, we started seeing more buy-in uh, almost immediately because then they go, now I know why you asked this question. And now I know when you say I need this or I need that, now I know why, because you're gonna do this and you're gonna do this and you're gonna do this with that. 
and then you're going to identify more victims and and whatever so i think doing that was an amazing way to not only build rapport um, but to really mold law enforcement and the hospital personnel as a team you know what i'm doing you know what we're doing we're both links to the chain we're on the same page we're you know we're going to be doing this together so to speak and then lastly is to call them back and give them feedback. I think that's really, really important. And unfortunately, law enforcement does not always do that. Um, to call, I mean, I call Heidi all the time and say, this is what we did. We made this arrest. I don't, you know, can't give her anything sensitive, but we made an arrest. We found two more victims. You guys, from what you started in, in the ER or wherever it started from, you guys were the ones that led to this because without you recognizing this and seeing this, we would never have known this and we wouldn't have been able to do our part. And then that makes the medical people feel so good, right? Because they're like, wow, I did something and it put a person in jail and I rescued three kids because of this. Um, so it makes you feel like you're part of that team. And then it motivates you to be on your due diligence and to pay attention even more so that you can do that again. So I think it's really important to explain what you're doing and then give that feedback so that everybody feels like they're part of the same team. I think it all just bears down to communication. Like you said, just being communicating with everybody that's involved. And then I like how you said getting that feedback because it is so helpful because, you know, there's you know, for us in medical field, we can do like, we're seeing a kid for like a sore throat and a fever and we do a strep test and we get that result back to know whether they have it or they don't have it. So like for this example, with child trafficking, we can identify, go through the process. And then if we can get that feedback to know, you know, what worked, what didn't, did we help this child or, you know, just getting that feedback to know how we are doing as healthcare providers and identifying and, and trying to help. So I, I think that, I think that's a great, a great statement there. Um, before we go, we've got a few more minutes, any uh, words of wisdom or any other resources you guys, uh, Allison or Dan, you wanted to mention? Yeah, I, I would like to mention that um, in, in the state of Missouri, um, we, we have a good reporting system with the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Um, and when, when someone calls in a tip to the hotline, it, it immediately gets sent out to a law enforcement distribution list. Dan receives those emails um, and, and others. And what, what this system does is it ensures that we send um, across the state of Missouri, so we have, you know, our urban areas and lots of rural areas that that uh, law enforcement that is is trained on human trafficking, so that you're not just getting just anyone um, is is responding to these tips and and deconfliction decisions are made. Um, and so I, I just want people to know that when when they make a tip to the National Human Trafficking Hotline, they're getting our state's best, and it's it works, it's efficient, um, and. You know, you know, sometimes our response times are under a half an hour. So um, it's, um, it, it's a good system. And um, if, if you're wondering where to start in, in making a report, um, certainly that, that's a place to look at. And that's great. Dan, do you have anything else? I just think this is like, this can be like the most rewarding thing that we do. And there really shouldn't be any reason to 
to stop law enforcement and hospitals from having this really, really close relationship because we're, we're all on the same page. We're doing the same thing. Um, and, and my advice is to don't get caught up in the bureaucracy of, of, of hospitals and law enforcement and everything. It just keep it simple, good common sense, some really good basic training, building that rapport with people. And that's all you really need. It does not need to be complicated. Just know the right people to call and have the right training. And you'll, you'll see results come very, very quickly. Absolutely. It was an honor having you both on this uh, podcast today and speaking with us. And I just want to thank you so much for taking time um, to have this very important discussion and your team effort so that we can all work together and help identify um, victims of human trafficking. So thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am. You've been listening to Focus ED, a special edition of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners Team Peds Talks podcast series, sponsored by the Pediatric Emergency Care Special Interest Group. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and will join us again soon.